0: Well, let me uh, add my welcome to those of others if you happen to be a guest with us uh, today. My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are a guest, you're catching us in the final uh, message of a sermon series called Preparing to Launch. And it has been about all of the times that Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection on that on that first Easter Sunday long ago. And we've been kind of focusing on the fact that... Uh, one of the stories of the resurrection, when uh, the women went to anoint Jesus' body, uh, they were met there by some angels at, at the tomb. And the angels' message to those women was crucially important. I remember they said to them, he is not here, he has risen. And when those words went out of the angels' mouth and hit the ears of those women, it was the very instant in time that resurrection from the dead moved from being a religious hope, maybe a speculative kind of uh, a philosophical idea, to being a historical claim that it had actually happened, right? That, that was the instant that, that that change occurred. And really, ever since then, the women at the tomb were terrified and bewildered. They were bewildered because they were trying to figure out what that meant for them. And ever since then, we human beings who try to learn and know and uh, uh, understand the message of Jesus and might even consider ourselves people who trust him, believe in him, and hope to follow him. We've been trying to figure out what the resurrection means for us. What are the implications of that? In these post-resurrection appearances, Jesus was preparing the disciples, and I think he's preparing us too, to, to launch us out. And the story today isn't so much about a post-resurrection appearance, but it's about the actual launch. When God kind of pressed the launch button. You know, five, four, three, two, one. Here it goes. And it's the, it's the story of Pentecost, which we've heard a bit already. Uh, but let me, let me read the entire story for us from the Bible. It's, it's the book of Acts chapter 2. Let me read this for for us. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. They had come for this big celebration. They were all uh, converging on Jerusalem for, for the uh, Pentecost celebration. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So like I said, Pentecost was this big uh, celebration. It came 50 days after a a particular moment in the Passover celebration, the, the offering of a barley leaf. It's a technical thing. But Penta, 50, this is 50 days after that. Uh, It was an ongoing Jewish festival, so these folks from all around uh, that Middle Eastern world had converged on Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost together. And the claim is that on that particular day, something happened. And I'm not exactly sure where you are in your understanding of Christianity or, or what your experience has been, but being a person not raised in the church it was quite revolutionary for me when I understood that some of the things in the Bible were actually historical claims. I thought they were just religious ideas. So let's be clear here that there is a historical claim in front of us that something happened on this day a long time ago. And specifically, that, that experience represented God doing something new expanding the way that he would be present with people so a real day real place real group of people something very significant happened so here's here's what Jesus said to his followers don't leave jerusalem but wait for the gift my father promised which you've heard me speak about for john baptized with water but in a few days you will be baptized with the holy spirit so the resurrection happened there were about 40 days Jesus spoke these words and then he ascended into heaven and then there were 10 days and then this happened. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly it sounded like the blowing of a violent wind. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. All of them filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as God enabled them. So this is the experience. This is the claim. Got some people sitting in a room And there was a sound. It wasn't a violent wind, but it sounded like a violent wind. So call that to mind. The sound of a violent wind. You're sitting together with 11 friends in a living room and you hear it. You experience this sound. And then you see some stuff. It looks like fire. It's not actually fire, but you you have a vision, you actually see something, and there's fire and it separates and lands on people. I mean this is quite something, right? And the net result is that these friends in the living room didn't simply look at each other and say, Whoa, that man, that was like the most religious experience in my life. That that wasn't what happened. They were changed. And they started talking, but amazingly, what was coming out of their mouth was not a language they knew. It was perfectly spoken. It's just that they didn't know how to speak that language. To the point where people from all over the world look at them and say, "Hey, you're not you're not from my country, but you're speaking my language perfectly. What's what's going on here?" They were speaking in other tongues. That's what the Bible actually says. And just to camp out here for, just for one moment, this is a thing in the Bible, right? Speaking in other tongues. And the Bible describes two separate experiences. This one of which we read today, speaking in a language that is not your own and that you don't necessarily know. And then there's a speaking in tongues that's a kind of prayer language, Right. It's described in 1 Corinthians 14. Here it is. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They are mysteries by the Spirit. It's kind of a heavenly prayer language the, the Bible portrays it as. And both of them are gifts of the Spirit. And here's the difference. Speaking in other tongues is an empowering to communicate with people. And speaking in tongues is a gift geared toward worshiping and giving thanks to God. Now, personally, I have experienced neither one of these, but I have really, really good friends, members of this church, who have the gift of speaking in tongues, meaning praying in a language that no one can understand, but enables them to kind of express their heart to God. Now, if you haven't experienced this, don't worry. You don't have to think of it as being weird. The Bible speaks very clearly. The Bible's very clear. It's a gift to a person, and it's meant to express oneself to God. And if you have this gift, you need not be ashamed. It's from the Lord. Use it. And use it as the Bible instructs. You know, privately, not publicly, unless there's some help. Uh, and then there's the speaking in other tongues. And a very good friend of mine, longtime friend of mine, has actually had this experience. He's very close to me, one of my mentors. Very normal guy, by the way. He was on a mission trip to Haiti uh, several years back, many years back now, and he was on the campus of a mission organization. And he's an extroverted kind of guy. He talks to everybody and, and uh, you know, uh, just, just gets to know people. And he was going to the, the cafe, the cafeteria, for his dinner that night. And he grabbed a, a tray of food. And there were only a few people around the cook and the mission organization director. And my friend got his tray and started walking around. And he just felt compelled to go talk to the cook. So he went back and the the cook was there and the mission organization director and my friend just opened his mouth to start talking and to his very great surprise he started speaking in a language that he didn't know. And he said he spoke two or three paragraphs and the cook got really mad threw down his tray and stormed out the back door of the kitchen and my friend looked at the director and said well did you understand that? And the director said, I did. Yeah, you were, you were speaking perfect Creole. And you just confronted that man on an, on an inappropriate relationship in which he's involved. Wow. That'll get your attention. Right? I take that to be a real-life example of what we read about in the Pentecost event. A little bit different. What happened with my friend was more of a prophetic challenge to this guy, uh, right? But it was clearly God empowering a human being to speak a language they don't know for the purpose of communicating with another human being. Not to stick it to them. It's never that. To invite repentance, to invite turning, to say come home from whatever it is that you're involved in. Right? See, salvation involves the forgiveness of sin and a new presence of God within us by the Holy Spirit. So often we reduce this thing to just being forgiven or being cleansed of of something we've done. But this story of Pentecost is about not only Jesus doing that for us, but then taking up residence right inside of us. If you think about it, it's really an undoing of one of the consequences of the fall. And if you're not as familiar with the Bible, that's recorded back in Genesis 3, where God didn't leave us. We walked away from God. And when when Adam and Eve, this is kind of the story, the, the overarching story, when Adam and Eve ate of the, the the fruit of the tree of life, we turned away from God and did our own thing. And if you remember the Bible story, remember soon after that, God was looking for Adam and Eve in the garden, but they were hiding from him. And God said, Hey, where are you? And they said, Well, we heard you coming and we were afraid. See, the, the greatest consequence of the fall is that we lost the presence of God, the active presence of God with us. And at Pentecost, God came in the spirit to fill his followers with his presence, to undo that primary consequence of the fall. It's an amazing thing if you think about it that way. right? But, but one of our problems is that we hardly ever think about the Holy Spirit. It might be a little strong, but in our tradition, our trinity tends to be, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Scripture. Rather, Father, Son, and, and Holy Spirit. And it leads us to ask, the holy what? Right, it leads us to wonder internally, at least, am I in touch with really what the Spirit is doing in my life? What, what does that mean? What does that look like? You know, it's, it's, it's like the experience that people had back in, in the Bible times. Look at this. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they answered, uh, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. The, hol- the Holy What? I I remember with such great clarity just because of the unique nature of my story, being a college graduate, an adult, involved in a serious Bible study for the first time where we were reading through most of the Bible in in a period of a couple years. And I I was in a class taught by a a wonderful guy named Tom Camper. Tom was a, a fruit farmer turned realtor who lived up in Traverse City with a keen knack for teaching the Bible. And he was one of those teachers where you, know, you could go and ask uh, them a question and you, you, he would make you feel like it was the best question anyone had ever asked in the history of the world, right? Just so encouraging. Like, That's such a great question. Oh yeah, this is good. Let's... So I, I remember so vividly going up to him and just saying after Bible study one night, Tom, what's the scoop on the whole Holy Spirit thing. Because I'm, I'm new to this, and I read about this in the Bible, and if I'm totally honest, I have absolutely no idea what this means. Am I supposed to feel something? Or, or understand something different? And Tom said, well, I, I don't know. I mean, sometimes I feel something. Oh, but most of the time I don't. Then how do you know the Holy Spirit is talking to you. How do you know the Holy Spirit is inside of you? How do you know? Tom just asked, have you asked God to show you? I'm quiet, kind of raised eyebrow, right? No, really, John. Have, have you asked God to show you that? Well, I guess I really haven't asked that specifically. Tom, well, Ask. And don't just ask once. Keep on asking. I believe that God wants you to understand this and to know this, and, and you should keep on asking. So maybe, maybe you're in that place. Maybe, even though you've been in the church for years, maybe you, you, you read about the Holy Spirit, but don't have a good grasp on the Holy Spirit's presence and work in your life. Maybe you've heard others talk about the Holy Spirit guiding them, directing them, and and as a person who maybe you don't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you think, man, that's just weird. Like, what is is this little alien living inside? Or what's what's the deal with this? Maybe your question is like mine. What's the scoop on this Holy Spirit thing? Let's try to simplify this. Uh, And then let's ask the Lord to show us. So there's three things maybe that, that help us understand the holy spirit the holy spirit is a person we receive the holy spirit and we are con- uh, we are to continue being filled with the holy spirit so the first thing the holy spirit according to the bible is a person not a thing the holy spirit is actually the spirit of god the spirit of jesus when jesus was with us he said i will send you another advocate and if you break down the original language, what he was talking about was not just, uh, not just an other advocate. What he was talking about was a, an exact duplicate of me spiritually, of Jesus spiritually. That's, that's who the Holy Spirit is. So it actually, uh, the Holy Spirit is Jesus living in us. This is a person. So the Holy Spirit is the presence of Jesus with us now. And, and then we receive the Holy Spirit and are to go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between receiving and, and being filled. Christians believe that a person receives the Holy Spirit when, when they come to Christ and understand what it means to, to fully trust Jesus and what he has done for us on the cross with, uh, with our own lives. Right when we, when we make the transfer of trust, whenever Christians talk about you know, receiving Jesus into your heart, or accepting Jesus, or something like that. I remember all this language was baffling to me at one point in life. All Christians mean when they talk about that is just, they're asking where our trust is. It's kind of like having two chairs. And ultimately, there are only two chairs. We're either sitting in this chair, and it basically represents everything we're doing for ourselves to make ourselves look better to God. Or you can be sitting in this chair, which represents everything Jesus has done for us. And there's always a big difference between looking at a chair and believing it could hold you if you were to sit in it and actually sitting down in the chair. When you sit down in something, you're trusting your weight to that thing. It's it's an act of faith, right? So that's, that's the fundamental invitation of Christianity to anyone who would hear it and receive it. We are invited to trust Jesus simply to sit down in the chair of Jesus, so to speak, to rely on what Jesus has done for us that we could never do for ourselves. That's the basic thing. And Christians believe that when a person does that, then the spirit of Jesus comes to live within us and things become more and more clear as we go. We're not perfect people. We're all, you know, works in process, but that's part of the deal. But God is living in us at that point. And then there's there's being... Uh, Filled with the Holy Spirit. Oh, one more thing on receiving. For those of you more familiar with the Bible, this might come as a surprise to you. Did you know that the apostles did not receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Let me say that again. Did you know that that the apostles did not receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? They received the Holy Spirit prior to that. Here's the story. Right out of John's Gospel. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So this is on that first resurrection Sunday, the day Jesus was raised from the dead, just in the evening. After he said this, Jesus showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know that any of us are going to argue that in that place with the apostles, when Jesus breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit, we're not going to try to argue that they didn't actually receive the Holy Spirit. They clearly received the Holy Spirit then. But at Pentecost, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. The difference between receiving and being filled All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So they're they're separate things, receiving and and being filled. Again, we receive when we trust Jesus. And the Bible tells us to go on being filled with the Spirit. Look at this from Ephesians. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with with the spirit. And again, the original language uh, doesn't connote a one-time event, it's like be filled and then you're good. It's kind of like windshield wipers. When you're driving down the highway in the rain, they just keep they keep wiping the windshield. Right? The verb tense says go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Keep doing this. All the time. Go on being filled with the Holy Spirit. So how do we apply all this to where we are? You know, it, it's Sunday now, but it's Monday tomorrow, and then Tuesday, and then Wednesday. So how does all this translate? Right? How's, how does a person go on being filled with the Spirit? Just two quick things before we close. There's a positive side, and there's a negative side. On the positive side, we ask. Right, look at what Jesus said. Which of you fathers... If your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, just ask. I mean, right before this, Jesus promises that if you ask, you'll receive. That if you seek, you'll find. That if you knock, the door will be opened to us. I have found that to be true in my life. Maybe not on the first knock or the initial ask, but that is true. That's the positive side. On the negative side, it's this. If you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, stop doing the things you know are wrong. Now, I totally get if, if some of us are struggling with addictive behavior, specifically chemical addictions or something like that, you can't just stop, and at, at, at points in a person's journey, that very well could be the most destructive message to hear. Just stop. Right? We, we need more than that. We need help. We need a community. We need, so I, I get that. Right? This is not a guilt-inducing thing. And at the same time, if you've tried to follow Jesus or just probably lived in the world and been alert to yourself, you know when you do stuff, when you choose to do stuff, you know is wrong. And you know the experience of, of not being addicted to something, but you know the experience of going down the road and seeing something, a decision point coming, and you know it's either the right way or the wrong way. You know it. And you chose the wrong way. And it wasn't an accident. You chose it willfully. I have chosen it willfully. We're all human beings. We've all done this. We've tasted what willful sin is like. Look what King David said. Keep your servant from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Because if you've had the same experience I've had, once you make that decision to choose them wrong, it becomes easier to make that decision again. And very quickly, that becomes a master. And it's ruling over you. It has taken control of some part of your life that you never intended to give up. So ask and combat willful sin. You know, choosing the wrong knowingly. So the summary here is that, that the Holy Spirit is real. The Holy Spirit's a person. God wants to live within us by the Spirit. This is the the trajectory of the whole story of the gospel, the big story of the Bible. If we lost God's presence at the fall in Genesis, God is all about renewing and remaking a new day where we will live continuously in God's presence and there won't be any hindrance or, or, or barricade to that. And the Holy Spirit is a significant step Toward that end, God living in us. That's why the scripture says, Don't don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't press down in your heart, in your life, in your mind what God is doing. Because because it's good, and it's good for you, and it's good for us, and it's good for the whole world. Right? If we want to combat the deep darkness and brokenness in the world. This is the place we start. With the battle that is waged right here every day. That's the most significant thing. Everything else moves out from there. So the call is to do life with God. Like really. And the reality is, that is excruciatingly hard. Because when you actually try this, when you start asking God to fill you, when you, when you start moving down this road, you encounter the reality that there is spiritual opposition in this world. There is opposition to us moving forward with God's presence fully in our lives. I'm not talking about a little red cartoon devil here with horns. We're talking about the very uh, uh, r- real truth that there is spiritual opposition in this world. And when you take a step out here and start asking God to fill you, you will get bombarded with this. Oh, that's a, that's a stupid idea. Asking God to fill you? What? Why does he make you ask? Well, that's dumb. You've got it. You've got all you, you freak. No, don't worry about that. And this is one, all sorts of things. Where does that stuff come from? Really? where does that stuff come from so we, so we pray right i can't fix me you can't fix you god is about the great work of fixing all of us of renewing the whole world and we need to pray and we're going to do that in a moment we're going to have a, a prayer ministry time in our service we do this periodically we'll do that to close the service and there, there will be three stations this morning. There will be a station right up here, and a station in the back on that side, and a station in the back on this side, with um, a, both a male and female kind of prayer partner. And uh, they, they fully understand that they're functioning in a priestly kind of capacity with confidentiality. So they would love to pray with you, to pray for you. So if you feel like you want power to focus more on Jesus than the circumstances of your life that are weighing you down, come and pray. Nobody has this figured out, but let's ask God. Like if you're, if you're burdened by something you know you can't carry alone, maybe some particular willful sin that you want to leave behind, come for prayer. Uh, you know, if there's something that you need that, that's just too heavy for you, come for the support of community in prayer. If you desire healing from the Lord in any form, physical, emotional, spiritual, you know, Jesus healed people. Not all the time there's great mystery in this. We get this. Sometimes we pray for healing fervently for someone and it's not the kind of healing for which we were praying and we feel crushed. Nevertheless, Jesus healed people and he invites us to follow him in that and pray healing over others. And this is not a magic incantation. Prayer is never that. It's simply our act of faith believing that what Jesus said is really true. That he really does have all authority in heaven and on earth. And this is our step of faith in demonstrating that we trust him. So I'll pray for us and then we'll come and pray. I want the prayer ministry team, why don't you take your places now. Father, we do thank you for the presence of your spirit in our lives. Thank you that this is not just Uh, some foolish religious story thank you that our faith is not one that somebody dreamed up in uh, the back room of their house but comes to us from so many different sources across time yet points a single direction God we bless you that you have come to us in Jesus that you've made yourself known to us That you love us. That you're not standing up in heaven, arms folded, waiting to condemn us and shame us, but that the whole message of the Bible is one of invitation. You're just calling to us as a loving father pursues a child. So God, we want to stop running. We only not only stop running, but we, we want to turn toward you and move toward you trusting that when we take just that small step you come running toward us so we do that God we worship you and we pray to you in the name of Jesus amen come and pray